Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of limitless travel destinations. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And welcome to season three. Season three, let's go. Yeah. So what that means is that starting now, there are going to be episodes coming out every two weeks until we hit episode number 120. And then we're going to take another little break, prepare for season four. But we got a lot of fun stuff coming up this season. We are going on a trip soon, or maybe by the time this airs, we will have already been on this trip. Or maybe we're on the trip when this airs. Possible. Haven't decided yet, but yeah, pretty exciting. It's happening. I'm so excited. Yeah. So before we get to today's topic, there's one thing I just wanted to mention in case there are any other people out there like me that love karaoke. Uh, me. We went just not that long ago. That was yeah. pretty fun. We should go again. Yeah. But, you know, I've mentioned before that I like to do karaoke at home, too. Yep. And, Paul, there's been a huge development. Okay. My life has changed All right, in a very you, positive way. What do you got? So, Apple Music. This isn't an advertisement for Apple Music, by the way. This is just me being excited. But Apple Music just introduced this new feature not long ago called, well, I guess they just call it Sing. It's like Apple Music Sing. Okay where now you can basically go in there and turn down the vocals on almost any song so you can sing along with it. That's awesome. I know. You know, I have a YouTube playlist of like 300-something songs where somebody has gone in and like manually taken out the vocals. Yeah. And now I can just do it with everything in my music library. That's really cool. Yeah. It's hard sometimes to find a good version of a karaoke song. There's a yeah. lot of like kind of bad versions out yeah. there. And a lot of the ones that I have saved on YouTube are not very good, but it's all I have. So do you have to subscribe to Apple Music or can you just do this in like iTunes now? That's a good question. I'll have to find out. Yeah, I think you might need to be subscribed. That's really cool though. Dude, the other night I just spent like five hours straight just singing along to all these songs that I wanted to have a karaoke version of. Yeah. Yeah. Spotify win. Yeah, right? Why isn't everybody on top of this? Yeah. I'm kind of surprised it took Apple so long. I guess I'm just thinking they probably wanted to make sure it was a high enough quality level. You know, they wanted to figure out those algorithms, get the technology right so it didn't sound like crap. Fair enough. Anyway, so that's what I've been doing lately. That's great news. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, Jason. Sure. Um, okay, so this episode is about planning a trip to Japan. Because like we said, we're going to Japan soon. And by the way, we're recording this on January 11th, just so you know, like where we're at in relation to the timing of our trip. Because our trip actually starts, well, March 18th for me. March 24th for me. So we're still a couple months in advance of that. But since we've been spending so much time researching and planning and putting all this stuff together, we kind of wanted to do an episode just so that we could talk about that stuff while it's fresh in our mind and give you guys an idea of what it takes to plan a trip to Japan and maybe give some tips on the best way to do that. Yeah, definitely. And you may remember, if you're a very long-time listener of the podcast or you've been through the whole backlog, we did kind of cover this topic in the very first episode. We did a planning episode, but that was back in 2019. 
And a whole lot has changed in Japan since then, of course. Yeah, and who's going all the way back to episode one anyways? Yeah, and back then, not to say that we're like amazing podcasters now, but back then, ooh, those first episodes (laughs) were a little rough, you know? Ooh, it's been a while since I've gone back and listened to those. I don't know if I want to. You don't want to. (laughs) Um, Also on this one, we're actually planning a trip. Yeah. It was all theoretical in that other episode. This, we're going to tie in a little bit with how we've actually planned this trip. Exactly. Well, shall we get started? Yeah, I mean, we've just been talking every week for hours about planning this anyways, so we might as well just record ourselves for a little while. (laughs) Yeah. So, where do you start when you're planning a trip to Japan? I mean, the first thing you need is some seed of an idea, right? You need to have this thought, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll go to Japan. Yeah. I feel like there's a couple angles you can take. One is, is there a certain time that you're available to go there or that you want to go there? Or is it really a certain place or thing in Japan you want to do? Those are the two big things I think that can dictate the start of your planning. Yeah. And uh, in the last episode of the previous season, we talked to Miyuki Saguchi, and I thought that she had a really good point that, like, you want to have some idea of kind of the history and the culture of Japan so that you kind of know what things to zero in on. Like, where do I want to go? What do I want to see just based on the things about Japan that interest me, you know? Yeah. Do I want to see the tech? Do I want to see history? Do I want to do the scenic mountains and parks? There's lots of different angles you could take on that. And that could dictate when you go as well. Definitely. So I would say, just talking about like the timing of having this seed of an idea, I like to start thinking about this stuff like at least six months in advance of the trip, you know, just so that I have a leisurely amount of time to put everything together, you know? Yeah. So for us specifically on this trip, I mean, I've been raring to plan a trip for a couple years now, but just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then all of a sudden announcement, boom, Japan's going to open in a month. And then we just really started planning. Mm-hmm. And to give ourselves that cushion is partly why we pick spring. Give ourselves a few months to plan this thing and get all our ducks in a row. But also spring is a great time to go to Japan too. So that lined up really well. At first I was even thinking, maybe we can squeeze in a trip in winter. you know. But then I was thinking of like, I got to redo my passport. I got to line up time off work. Like there's a lot that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking about spring and then we thought cherry blossoms. And then we looked up when the cherry blossoms are blooming and made our decision from there. Yeah. So I think really like the seed, the core of the concept for this trip came from you because you had that idea of like, well, Kyushu is really interesting. And we did the Kagoshima episode and that's really interesting. And then when you mentioned spring, I started thinking like, okay, well, this will be my first trip to Japan in spring. So I want to make sure I do all the spring things, you know? Yeah. And of course the Sakura is a, the biggest thing that comes to mind for that. And as for like the foundation of knowledge, I mean, obviously we've been doing the podcast for three, more than three years now. Yeah. So we've learned, you know, we know a lot more about Japan than we did when we started. So we had a bunch of ideas 
And we have that kind of historical context and cultural context to kind of help us decide which direction we wanted to go with what we wanted to see and everything. So if you don't really have a solid idea in your head of what you want to do in Japan, or you feel like you don't really have a lot of that history, I would recommend going back and listening to the last 110 episodes. (laughs) I second that. (laughs) To totally derail this whole conversation, did you hear that this week Gwen Stefani said, I am Japanese? Why? What? I feel like there's, I need some context around that comment. Apparently she, her dad worked in Japan for a while. So she lived there for a little bit, I think. And she just really identifies with the culture. So in some interviews, she kept saying, I am Japanese recently. And then I found out that her lawyers tried to trademark the word Harajuku Uh. because she had a song about like Harajuku or something (sighs) a while ago. And I, that, that one, I was like, okay, that's crazy. Yeah. That's great. That's literally a part of a city in Japan. Like you can't trademark that as your own. That's like gross uh, capitalism, right? Yeah. In my mind. Interesting. It's funny how many like pop stars, I mean, are really into Japan and also like kind of advertise their interest in Japan. Yeah. Did you hear about how Ariana Grande tattooed seven rings, like the Japanese words for seven rings on her hand? No. But she like messed up the kanji. And it doesn't say that. Oh, no. It just says something else. Like, come on. You got the money. You can spend a few minutes to make sure you're getting an accurate tattoo, you know? Or go find a Japanese tattoo artist. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw a video of Katy Perry meeting Kyari Pamu Pamu. (laughs) That was pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah, Japan's cool. Everybody likes Japan. Yeah. Bigger than ever, it seems like. Yeah. So let's see. Back to uh, the concept for our trip. You were talking about Kagoshima, springtime, and you could get like two weeks off of work, right? Yeah, I was like, I can probably get two weeks. I finally asked my boss and I got 16 days. But with travel and everything, I'm getting 13 nights in Japan. And you got to you know, keep in mind that when you get back, you have to readjust to America time and that can... You don't want to be like going to work the very next morning after you get back. Yeah, I've learned my lesson on that. If my flight's not delayed, I think I get back in the evening and then I have one more day off and then I go back to work. Okay. So I I have one day to try to try to figure that out a little bit. Yeah. So I was able to get a little more time off of work. So I decided this is actually going to be my longest trip to Japan. It's going to be a full three weeks for me. So I have a week before Paul gets there, and I was really kind of struggling with what I was going to do because I had to end up in Kagoshima to meet Paul there or end up in Tokyo and meet Paul there, and then we could fly to Kagoshima together. So I was struggling with that until I remembered the Shimanami Kaido, which is a biking course, one of the top ones in the world, and it sounds amazing, and I'm super excited about it. And as soon as that popped into my head, I just built that whole first week kind of around that idea. Yeah, that, that, that al- sounds fun. Yeah, that also means I'm going to be visiting Shikoku, which is the only main island I have not yet visited. So I'm excited about that too. Nice. I'll be biking to Shikoku from Honshu. Yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to do Kyushu is because I wanted to get to another main island. And Kyushu had been on my brain since we talked to Simon and Moo, mm-hmm. and they sold it really well. I was like, ah, Kyushu's great. 
And we had very recently done the Kagoshima episode when we found out that you can go back to Japan now. So that was very fresh on my brain. And I was like, volcano I can hike, tons of history in the city, great views. It's in Kyushu. I just like, I got to go. I got to go. I'm excited for that for sure. Yeah. And then I started looking like, well, we're going to be in Kyushu. What else can we do in Kyushu? And I thought, maybe Fukuoka, but you've been there. And, you know, it was like cool, but like nothing crazy to knock your socks off. I mean, there are some things in Fukuoka that I missed that I would still like to see. But my main thought, I guess, was that I wanted to try to avoid any overlap with past trips as much as possible. Because I've done that before where like I visit some place I've been before and it just, I mean, yeah, you can see new things, but it just, it doesn't hit the same, you know, like that yeah. sense of kind of discovery and exploration of visiting a brand new city. There's nothing like that, you know? Yeah. So eventually I remembered the toilet museum <laughs> in Kitakyushu and then I was sold. I was like, all right, we're stopping in Kitakyushu. And I started thinking along the lines of the Shinkan set. I was like, if we're going to be in Kagoshima, why not just head north along the Shinkansen? And I just started looking at all the stops, like, where should we stop? What should we do? And booking a 13-night trip, oh man, those nights go so quick. Yeah. So Kagoshima and Kyushu are the only things we're doing in Kyushu. Right. I'm excited for that Aru Aru City. Yeah. Yeah. The Weeb Mall. Yeah. And then the Manga Museum on the top floor. Yeah. That sounds great. And the castle there with the sakura around the castle. I'm excited to get some great pictures of castles with cherry blossoms. Oh, we're going to get so many good ones. Yeah. Yeah, Kita Kyushu kind of seems like the perfect, at least for me, like one day stop. There's three things I really want to see, and that's kind of all I wanted to really see in the city. So I think we're going to be able to get it all done in that one day. Yeah. So we have a bunch more stops planned, and we could probably spend an hour just talking about how excited <laughs> we are about each of these places, but right. there's a lot of other stuff that goes into planning, so let's talk about some of that, huh? Yeah, that's a good idea. So we should probably start with making sure you can get into Japan, right? That's important. It would, it would be a bummer to have this whole trip planned out in your head, and then you find out for some reason Japan doesn't want you. <laughs> yeah. So I think number one is you need a passport. If you're coming from outside of Japan, obviously. Yep. I just got mine renewed and I had to pay for the expedited because oh. the non-expedited was like six to nine weeks or something. And I was like, that's pushing way too close for comfort for me. I didn't realize you were like just now getting it renewed. Had yours expired already? Mine expired a while ago. I didn't know this. So... I made it harder on myself. Apparently, U.S. passports, you can renew within five years of them expiring through the normal renewal process. My five years was June hmm. this past year. So I was past five years, so I have to go through the whole process like I'm getting a brand new passport. Oh, wow. That's good to know. So Good information. Do the expedited. They said it's like three to five weeks or something. Okay. It was like 60 bucks, so it's not going to kill me, but... So you've received your renewed one or your no, brand new no, one? No, no, I just did it. You sent it in. I just You're, sent it in. Okay. So I'm waiting three to five weeks. All right. And I will have my passport. 
So that's cool. So I got that out of the way now. Yeah. Fortunately, I still have mine that I renewed, I think, in 2018, right before my last trip to Japan. So Nice. You still got a few more years then? Yep. Uh, so once you have your passport, you're also going to want to look into the visa situation for your country. Fortunately for us, coming from the United States, it's pretty easy. We don't need to like apply in advance or anything. We just show up, go through customs and immigration, and they just stamp our passport, and we're allowed to stay in the country for up to 90 days. Yep. And the third thing right now would be vaccines. So currently to get into Japan, you have to have had a recent enough booster shot for the COVID vaccine. Uh, I don't think... It or if you be had, recent. I don't think okay. they pay attention at all to the timing of your vaccine. It's just that you need to have at least three vaccines. Okay, okay. Does three mean like the two initial ones and then one booster? Right. Okay. And if you don't have proof of vaccination, you can also get into the country with a negative COVID test. And there's a website actually where you kind of register and submit all this paperwork in advance so that they have time to review it and kind of approve you before you show up. So I already have done this, actually. You can do it, like, way in advance. Nice. You just sign up, and you got to scan your documents and stuff, and they kind of take a day with each document, and then it shows up on the website that they approved it. So right now, I have, like, these QR codes in my phone that I just need to show to immigration and customs when we get there. Awesome. Yeah. I did hear that some people aren't doing this and they just kind of make them do it at the immigration desk. You definitely can. You don't absolutely need to do this stuff in advance, but it's going to make it smoother and faster yeah. to get into the country, which I mean, 100% why not? don't recommend doing that. Just yeah. get all your ducks in a row. Make it easy. Don't mess around with will I get in, will I not get in. Right. Is my feelings about that at least. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've talked back in episode one about how I'm an obsessive planner. When it comes to this stuff, this is what I'm most obsessive about is just like making sure that they're not going to decide, oh, you didn't do this stuff. We're not letting you in the country. Like I get nervous about that. I just yeah. want to have everything locked down. Yep. It's always... A relief getting through customs. <laughs> it's not like I think I won't, but it's still like, you know, they're reviewing you, they're judging you, and they're going to let you in or not let you in. It's, it's, it's a yeah. little relief getting yeah, it's through. Like, why, why are you here? Why, are you, why do you want to get into the country? And they, sometimes they just look at your passport, and then they just look at you, and they're not saying anything, and you're like, they're judging me. What's <laughs> They're looking for those beads of sweat dripping down your forehead. <laughs> yeah, does this guy look nervous? <laughs> Uh, last thing I wanted to mention in this section is consider any medications that you need to take to stay alive uh, or, you know, be comfortable. Because medications that might be approved in your country might not necessarily also be approved in Japan. So good idea to do some research and just make sure that you are allowed to bring in any medications that you need. Absolutely. So another very important thing to think about planning your trip is budget, right? What's your budget? That's going to dictate a lot about how you plan your trip, I think. Definitely, yeah. The types of accommodations you're going to have available to you, how many cities you'll be able to visit. Personally, I don't really think about budget too much, not because I have a whole lot of money and it just like doesn't matter, 
but more that this is one of the few places in my life where I allow myself to splurge. Like, I don't want money to be the limiting factor in how much I enjoy my trip. But at the same time, I don't feel the need to stay in like really expensive, fancy, comfortable hotels, you know? Right. I'm okay with spending 50 bucks a night to stay in a little tiny business hotel type thing where you just have like the minimum necessities. I'm fine with that. That's not where I find the value in a trip to Japan, you know? Yeah, agreed. I'm not holding myself to a budget on this trip either, but I am price conscious, you know? All I need is a bed and a shower in a hotel, really. Yeah. Not really looking for anything else, not going to spend a lot of time in the hotel rooms. So we actually have got all our hotels reserved already, and we got some really good deals. Oh, yeah. We got, we got some very affordable hotels, so that was nice. Definitely. Those business hotels, you can always find some good deals in Japan. Yeah. Another thing that kind of helps in, I guess, both of our cases is that we're only paying for ourselves. You know, if I had a family of four that I was bringing to Japan. Oh, my goodness. There would be so many more considerations, you know, things to think about. Yeah. I think the two biggest things budget-wise are hotels and how long you stay. Travel within Japan, too. Like, if you're flying around in Japan or taking a bunch of Shinkansens, that can affect it. But Mm -hmm. I think the two biggest things are like you're going to have to pay for a plane ticket and you can play around with what time of year you go to maybe try to find a lower price, but you're kind of going to pay what you have to pay for a plane ticket, right? Yeah. And you're going to have to pay for hotels. But then again, there's like $20 a night shared bathroom hotels. Like you can do that very affordably. Yeah. If you want to hear more about like accommodations in different price ranges, go back to uh episode uh maybe six or something i was thinking seven i don't know somewhere around there we did an episode about hotels hotels and we talked about like the super super cheap options you know you can stay at manga cafes you can stay in capsule hotels if you only want to spend like 20 bucks a night or something yeah so there are options go back and listen to that one yeah or if you have a higher budget you can stay at nice hotels if that's what you like I was toying around with it. Like there were some nice hotels in Kagoshima that had a view of the volcano and had a onsen on the roof and looked super nice, but they were all pushing like 300 a night plus. And I was like, "Ah, I can get like a nice enough hotel for 60 or 80 bucks a night split between the two of us. Like it just didn't make sense. Yeah. I'm not that wealthy, you know? (laughs) The only time I've ever spent more than $100 a night on a hotel in Japan was when Yi and I went to Sapporo and we stayed at this like super nice ryokan with a private onsen in our room and like kaiseki dinner and stuff just to experience that once. You know, we spent one night at this hotel. Yeah, totally worth it. Totally. You get the experience and you get the free meal. Like a meal like that would cost you 30 plus bucks at a yeah. restaurant anyways. Yeah, so. when you're paying that much, there's kind of a lot of other stuff that's included. And as long as you have like the time to take advantage of all those other included things, you know, it can make sense. It's not something I would do regularly based on, you know, what I find important and based on my budget. Yeah. One other thing to mention with the budget is I never think about this when planning trips and I'm not going to worry about it personally, but the little expenses can add up really quickly. 
Like you're going to spend money on food. Food in Japan's kind of cheap if you're not going to like super fancy places, but still you're like eating out all the time. So that will add up. But then not just that, if you're going to all these different places, a lot of temples or attractions, it's like 500 yen to get in. And if you're going to like, we were in Kyoto, you go to like eight places during a day, 500 yen a pop adds up kind of quick. Yeah. And all the little train rides can add up too, even if it's only two, three bucks at a time. So those things to keep in mind when you're planning your budget. All right, so once you've gotten these basics figured out, you have kind of a general idea of what you want your trip to look like. Maybe now it's time to book a flight. Make it official, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's the moment where you're just like, all right, I'm going to Japan. It's happening. There's no turning back now. Yeah, once you bought your ticket, it's on. Yeah. So I would recommend checking prices periodically over the course of several weeks, maybe even months, just to kind of get an idea of what the average prices are from wherever you're flying from. Because that way, like if you kind of know generally the range for those prices, you can pounce when you see a really good deal. And I mean, I've gotten some incredible deals on past trips. I like see prices hovering between like $1,200 and $2,000 or something. And then all of a sudden, in the time that I want to go, there's just this one ticket that's like 800 bucks. So like, I'm going to buy that immediately, you yeah. know, as soon as I see that. Some websites like Kayak, I use Kayak a lot when I, I'm planning these. I did for this trip. They will track prices for you and they kind of have like historical records of what the prices have been. So they can recommend to you like now is a good time to buy. This is a good price. Or maybe they'll say, oh, this is likely to drop in price in the next couple of weeks. Maybe you should wait on this. That's cool. Yeah. Another thing to keep an eye on with flights is how many stops there are. Yes. Ideally, I don't want to stop anywhere. I want to fly directly from where I am to Tokyo. Yeah. I did not get direct flights this time. I mean, since COVID, they cut way, 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 way down on direct flights to Japan. And I feel very fortunate that I was able to get a direct flight home, but I will be making one stop on the way there. Yeah, yeah. I got an Air Canada flight. So I'm stopping in Toronto one way and Montreal the other way. How long are your layovers? One's like two and a half hours. One's like three and a half hours or something. Mm. So a little bit, even one of them at flagged is like long layover. But like the way air travel is these days, I almost feel more comfortable like, what if my first plane is delayed? I don't want to miss my plane to Japan and have to like try to reschedule that. I got a hotel waiting for me. And then I got a plane ride to Kagoshima the next morning. Like, I just want it to work out. I just want to get there. I don't, I don't care if I have to hang out in the airport in Toronto for three and a half hours. Totally. Yeah, there are a lot of things to think about there. And I think that's the biggest reason that I was always nervous about having a connecting flight is... What if something goes wrong? Yeah. What if my first flight is delayed and then all of a sudden I'm not even going to get to Japan until like a day after I expected to and now my whole schedule is thrown off, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about there. Like you don't want to be sitting in an airport for 12 hours probably. Right. But if you have a layover that's like 30 minutes or something, it's like, man, that's cutting it super, super close. You yeah, know? That's, that's way too close for me. Yeah. But man... 
It's insane when you start looking at those flights and some of them are like, oh yeah, this itinerary takes 48 hours for you to get to Japan. Like, no, I don't care how cheap it is. I'm not doing that. I've seen some crazy ones. Like, I don't know how much everyone knows about American geography, but I've seen some flights where it's like, I'm flying three hours down to Texas and then I'm flying two hours back up to Detroit which is only an hour plane ride from here. And then it's flying to Japan. And I'm like, what? This makes zero sense. Yeah. And just added seven hours to my travel time. Yeah. You start to feel like a, like a package being shipped by UPS <laughs> ground. And it's just like, oh, we just do whatever the logistics you know, computer says to do. Right. Yeah. Another thing to think about on the layovers too is international. Like if I was flying to Chicago... I would then have to go through customs in Chicago to get onto my international flight to Japan, right? Uh, and that can take I, more time. Is that how that works? I think so, because you're doing a domestic flight to Chicago, and then you have to go through customs to get on your international yeah. flight. I guess I've done that exact itinerary. I can't remember how that went exactly. I remember not liking Chicago. <laughs> like Their airport is not fun. I don't think that'll be a problem for me this time because I'm going to Toronto, so I'm assuming I'll be leaving from the international airport the first time. Yeah. And I'll go through customs to get on my first flight. That would make sense. So, bottom line, for me, I managed to get a round-trip ticket from Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport to Tokyo. Oh, by the way, Haneda, both ways. I land in and leave from Haneda Airport, which is... Awesome. Yeah, that's nice. That's yeah. another thing to think about when you're planning, too, is if you can get the airport that you want. Yeah. Uh, so my ticket, final price was $1,427, if that's useful for anybody. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I feel like that was a pretty decent deal, just considering... I mean, this is actually, I think, the most I've ever paid for a flight to Japan, but post-COVID, I think it's a pretty decent price. Yeah, and prices just always go up over time. Yeah. It's been a long time, but I feel like my first trip in 2008, it was like $900, something like that. And I paid like about 120 more than you did this time. I got my ticket like a week or two, a couple weeks after you. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. Fuel prices went up or something. Who knows? All the prices started rising right after I got mine. And I was wiping the sweat from my brow to see that (laughs) because, yeah, I... Because I kept getting those alerts from Kayak. Like I had marked specific flights and they're like, oh, that flight just went up $200. Oh, that one kept going. So yeah. it's like, you really got to get that timing right. So once you have your flight figured out and you know when you're getting to Japan and when you're leaving Japan, now you got to worry about all that stuff in between those two dates, Right you got to start thinking more seriously about what cities you want to visit and make sure that the logistics make sense. Like, make sure that you know how to get from one city to the next and how long it's going to take, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Even once we decided all the cities we were going to, you know, oh, we're going to stop in Osaka, Kobe, and then you recommended Nico, which was a great idea. Did I recommend that? You did. Oh. You did. Uh, we were like trying to figure out like, eh, we don't really want to do like four days in Tokyo. We've both been oh, to Tokyo yeah. enough. And you were like, Nico's not far from Tokyo. And we're doing it right at the end of our, well, not like the very end of our trip, but towards the end of the trip, which is exactly what my plan was in 2019. And I had missed it because it ended up raining that whole time. 
Uh, so I think that's why that came to mind. Like, what do you do when you have a few days in Tokyo at the end and you don't really want to just hang around in Tokyo? Well, Nico's right there. Yeah. And part of the point I was leading to is we decided we were going to go to all those cities, but it took us a while to figure out in what order. Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to, we're flying into Tokyo, right? Are we going to go to Nico first and then Osaka, then Kita Kyushu, then Kagoshima, then fly back to Tokyo and go home? So we had to work that out. But once we kind of realized that if we started all the way south, we could get the first cherry blossom blooms down there. And as we headed north throughout the two weeks, we're kind of following the likely dates of peak cherry blossom season. Oh, man. So that's why we decided to go south to north. Yeah. I'm just really excited about that as like a concept for the trip. We're just chasing the cherry blossoms (laughs) across half the country. I know. It's so cool, too, because so many of the great sites in Japan happen to have cherry blossoms somewhere in them. Like a lot of the temples and castles and all sorts of things are going to have cherry blossoms. Yeah. Even a lot of the places I've been to before, you know, it's like I compare my pictures that I took to these other pictures that other people took during cherry blossom (laughs) season. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? It's definitely a great aesthetic. Yeah. So we're not going to have to go out of our way a lot to see cherry blossoms. We're going to see them at all these places that we already wanted to go to anyways. Yeah, it's going to be great. But yeah, we had so many options. And I think that for me was, uh, that took a while to figure out, especially since I have that week before you show up, Paul. It's like, what am I going to do? Do I want to fly from Tokyo to Kagoshima with Paul? Does it make more sense for me to meet him in Kagoshima? Where do I want to go for this week? Like, what part of the country do I want to be in? Because I also don't really want to overlap stuff that I'm already going to be doing with Paul, too. Like, it doesn't make sense to visit a certain region, go back to Tokyo, fly to Kagoshima, and then pass through that region again. Yeah, right. And you probably don't want to be up in Hokkaido and then have to come all the way back to Tokyo and then go straight to Kyushu. It becomes a ton of travel. Yeah. So originally, I was thinking, like, maybe I'll just spend this week around Hakone and kind of relax at some hot springs or something, and then I'll meet up with Paul back in Tokyo, and then we'll fly down to Kagoshima. But then, like I said, when I remembered that Shimanami Kaido, like, oh, well, I'll just do that. But then I had to talk to Paul, like, hey, are, is it cool if we actually meet up in Kagoshima instead? Because that way, I don't have to do a domestic flight inside Japan. I can just take the train all the way down to Kagoshima and then take the train back. Yeah, so you're going to end up taking the Shinkansen from Tokyo all the way down to Kagoshima, the very southern tip of the Shinkansen, and then all the way back up to Tokyo with a bunch of stops. Yeah, so it is, you know, I'm going to be... You get to see a lot of the country. That's cool. Yeah, I'm like backtracking a little bit. Well, it's all sorts of crazy. You'll see in the recap episodes, I'm being very ambitious with my itinerary. Like, it's kind of insane how quickly I'm hitting all these places but yeah i remember when you were telling me about it i was like man you're going even harder than we are like we're planning to pack super light we're gonna be on the move we're gonna be in like six different cities or something five different cities with hotels something like that and then you made it make sense though we were like well we're already planning to pack super light and be all the move now's the perfect time for me to do a trip or I'm on the move all the time, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, this is actually another conversation we had was, you know, I was a little hesitant at first when Paul kind of proposed 
the general idea for this trip because it's like I've done a lot of trips where I was very busy, like constantly. And it's, you know, it can be a little stressful when you're checking out of your hotel every day to check into a new hotel in a different city. And it's just like, there's so much to keep track of when you're moving around that quickly. But once I got used to the idea of like, okay, we're just going to pack really light and kind of not be tethered to one specific place so much, then it's like, well, since I have this extra week to myself, I'll just take advantage of that light packing and really go crazy with it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That was a good thought you had. Also, at least for me, the whole time, other than the first night, I'm going to be with you. So even though we've got a bunch of hotels and stuff, yeah, we each book two or three hotels. So it's not like I have to manage five different check-ins and hotels. Like I've got three, you've got two. It's like almost a little pressure off in that way. Yeah. Well, I guess we should start talking about hotels, huh? I think that's our next big topic. Yes. So booking the hotels, in my opinion, was the least exciting thing or the most tedious. It's not easy booking hotels in Japan necessarily. Maybe this is just me, but like I kind of find this to be one of the most stressful parts of planning, even though like it's not really that big of a deal, but like... Well, the rest of planning is so fun. And then this was not fun. Yeah, like you said, it does kind of feel like work, just like finding a hotel that makes sense for your itinerary. But also, I just feel like a huge sense of relief once I have all of those bookings made. And I know like this is where I'm going to be in this city. And I know I have a place to stay. And now now comes the fun part of filling in all the little gaps and like figuring out what to do in each city. Yeah, I'm excited about our hotels now that we have them. Yeah. But I ran into the problem of like you're searching for hotels, but you go through all these hotel websites and sometimes you'll do a search and you'll find a hotel and you'll click on it and that will bring you to a new website that gives you like another list of hotels and doesn't bring you like straight to the page of that hotel. I accidentally booked us a hotel at Kitakyushu Airport because there was one with like almost the same name that I was looking at that was right at the train station. And somehow between like clicking to the next page, it's, I got onto the other one somehow and you know, easy to get a refund, but it is a little bit confusing and frustrating and finding the right things. Like we want a two person hotel, but we want two beds in the room. Paul doesn't want to share a bed with me. I don't know what that's about, but. You know, I'd prefer not to. Is it my cold feet? Is that the problem? Uh, yeah. Your your feet are a problem, bro. <laughs> <laughs> We're joking. I'm pretty sure Paul has never felt my cold feet on him, right? Not that I recall. But Yia complains about that. You're a slipper guy. You always got like slippers and socks on. So, you know. I know how cold your hands are, though. So I imagine yeah. your feet are just as bad. Yeah, that's true. My extremities, they just, they're always cold. I start calling you Iceman because you shake Jason's hand, you're going to get cooled off a little bit. Hmm. But that's cool I have an name. unpleasant handshake, don't I? That's, that's not great. In summer, it's all right. <laughs> I'm cool and refreshing in the summer. <laughs> anyway, uh, Paul, I need to make a strong statement here. Okay. All those booking websites, all yeah. of them. Yeah. They're garbage and I hate them. <laughs> Agreed. I will say... 
I had way better experience with trip.com. I booked two of the three hotels with trip and had a more pleasant experience. Some of the other ones I was on, I gave up on because they were just hot trash and it wasn't giving me what I wanted and it was frustrating me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll lay out my personal process for booking hotels because I do, I do still like deal with those big booking websites, even though I hate them. Like, you, you almost have to. Yeah. So the first place I go, I don't search on those booking websites for like specific cities or anything. I go straight to Google Maps. I use Google Maps a ton throughout the entire planning process. You know, I'm dropping pins on all the attractions I want to see. I'm dropping pins on all the train stations I'm going to be visiting just so I can keep an eye on like where it is, you know, how to get there and that kind of stuff. Yep. And for hotels, it can be really handy because you can just kind of zoom in on the city that you want to stay in. Or even if you have an idea of like the part of the city you want to stay in, you just zoom in there and then type in hotels or there's even a little button there actually that says hotels. You just click on that. It'll show all the hotels in that area. And then when you click on one of those, Google will give you links to all of those booking websites and tell you the price for each one. Yeah. And this is where it starts to get annoying. Yeah. You don't always get that price once you get there and stuff like that. Yeah. But but it's at least good for giving you a sense of what hotels are around and kind of the general price comparison between them. And then once you have that information, first thing I do is actually see if that hotel has its own website. Because sometimes you can get a good price booking directly through that hotel's website. Yeah. The only problem is a lot of them don't have websites in English. Yeah. I tried that. I had no luck with any of the ones I booked this time. Yeah. But I have in the past. Yeah. Some of the ones in Tokyo, maybe you're more likely. Or there are certain hotels more aimed at foreign tourists that you might find. But I didn't, I didn't find that in like Kagoshima and Nikko. Yeah, it's pretty hit or miss. There was one random hotel in Onomichi that has an English website. I think it's because that's where the Shimanami Kaido starts. So they get a lot of foreign travelers there. That's cool. Yeah. I think that kind of hits on one of the main points for hotels for me is location. Like location, location, location. Being either near the main train hub or being near the area with all the sites you want to see, it will save you so much time and trouble just being at a hotel that's in a good location. Definitely. I booked so many hotels that are like a two minute walk from the train station or like basically right outside the train station. Yeah. And I'm very excited about that. <laughs> yeah. The one we got in Kita Kyushu, I think is like built on top of the train station. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I like to do when you're on Google Maps and you're looking around at hotels is take a look at the street view. Because sometimes it can be tricky to find hotels. And I like to just kind of have it in my head, like the image of what that hotel looks like mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. what street the entrance is on and stuff. Yeah. It's really addresses in Japan can be really confusing and weird. Yes. So it's a really good idea to just know how to get into the hotel. You yeah. Know? I can't make heads or tails, honestly, of Japanese addresses. I either need like printed out directions or I need to be like following my phone or I'm not going to find anything. Yeah. Another thing too is at least one of the hotels we're staying at, there's like 
a hotel, but then there's like an annex that's a separate building. So I've seen that figuring before. out which building you're going to be in. I mean, you could probably figure it out once you get there. They might be like, oh, you're at the other one, but it's good to keep an eye out for that and make sure which you know exactly where you're going. Yeah. I was just kind of chuckling to myself because I feel like I might have even been in that situation before where it's like, I know where the hotel is, you know, and everything's cool. I have all the details figured out. And then I walk in to check in and they're like, oh, you're at the annex. It's like over across the street. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, crap, <laughs> what's this new building? I don't know anything about this building. How do I get there? Yeah. But yeah. But you figure it out. Yep. Uh, another thing to think about is that when you're booking a hotel, you might have the option of paying at that moment that you book it, or you might be able to choose to pay when you check in instead. So, I don't know, maybe it doesn't make a huge difference in most cases. I think it's mostly a personal preference. I just personally, you know, like I said, I like to have things locked down. So, I prefer to pay in advance just so I know I don't have to be pulling out money when I get there. Same here. And also for this trip specifically, I kind of factored in the exchange rate because that's been going crazy lately. Like a couple months ago, it was up to 150 end of the dollar, which is unheard of. Like it hasn't (laughs) been that high since the early 90s, I want to say. Yeah. So, you know, that would have been the perfect time to book all these hotels and pay for them was when it was 150 end of the dollar. I think it was pretty high, though, when we booked most of it. It was still like around 140 or something. We definitely still got a good deal. But uh, when it hit 150, I started seeing all these articles about how they were going to try to like rein it in a little bit, you know, so I expected that to start dropping. So I wanted to get those hotels booked ASAP at that point. Um, Another thing to keep an eye out for is the cancellation policy. Paul, like you said, we had a little mishap with the Key to Kyushu Hotel, but fortunately, that was easy to undo. Um, Yeah, all the ones I booked were like free cancellations up until like within 24 hours of the reservation. So I was comfortable like, okay, I'm just going to book this. Yeah. You know? And I got the sense that those big booking websites are especially lenient about that kind of stuff because that's kind of one of their selling points maybe. Yeah, yeah. But if you're booking directly through a hotel, like I'm pretty sure that one in Onomichi, even if you canceled like the next day after you booked it, they were still going to keep like 20% or something like that. Yeah. So just something to keep an eye on. And, you know, even once you have all your hotels booked and you're comfortable with that, there's always the possibility that later on in the planning process, you realize that you messed up somehow, you know? Yep. Like I had a situation once where the JR pass like deactivated earlier than I thought. Like I just miscounted the days or something. So all of a sudden I kind of had to rethink my plan there. So Uh, it's nice to be able to cancel bookings if you need to, for whatever reason. Yep. Another thing to look for is amenities. I always make sure that there's AC because I'm a hot sleeper. (laughs) I need it to be like 60 degrees in the room for me to sleep. The only thing I feel like I'm really looking for is I like having a bathroom in the room. Yeah, I don't really nice. want a shared bathroom. Yeah. You know, that that's about it. I want my own bed and I want a shared bed. I want, yeah. a, I want our own bathroom. Yeah, it's good to not be picky. You know, that gives you more options. Other things you might want to look for, well, the right number of beds, right? We don't want yep. to share a bed. Yep. Uh, some hotels, a lot of hotels have included breakfast or you might need to just pay like an extra 500 yen or something for the breakfast kind of add-on. That can thing. be nice. Yeah. It's quick. You're on your way. Washing machines can be really useful if you don't want to, you know, if you want to pack light and you want to have like 
a few days worth of clothes and yeah. then just stay at hotels where you can wash them. That's nice. That is another thing for me. Not every hotel needs that, but one or two of the hotels having that is is a big deal when I'm only bringing three pairs of everything or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, my method for packing super light is that all of my clothes that I'm bringing, besides my jeans, are wool, like merino wool, which means I can wash them in the sink at the hotel. That's my plan. And then they dry super fast, so they'll be ready by the next morning. So I don't even need to worry about washing machines. I just need a sink. Another thing I definitely recommend before you book your hotels is read a few of those reviews, you know? That's going to tell you if there are any big problems. I stayed at a hotel on my last trip where I feel like I would have caught this if I had read more reviews, but you had to leave your room key at the front desk every time you left the hotel, and then you'd have to go ask for it back to get to your room, like every single time. And that's just a pain. That sounds super annoying. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go to the Combini and grab a rice ball and a beer. and You got to leave your key and then pick it up. Oh, why? Why? Yeah. Some places are too controlling, man. Yeah. It worked out, but I would have preferred to not deal with that. Yeah. Another thing, I think this is my last thing I wanted to mention, is that when you book a hotel, of course, you're going to get a confirmation email with all your you know, the details and kind of proof that you have booked it and whether or not you've paid for it yet or whatever. Yeah. And so I like to star those emails. Like I use Gmail and there's just a little star that you can click to kind of keep track of that one. And I do that with all of my hotel bookings and my flight and any like restaurant reservations or tours, that kind of thing, just so that I have all of that stuff in one place. If something happens, I've never honestly been in a situation where i had to pull that up and like prove to somebody that i bought it or whatever yeah but even just for reference you know if you need to know like what time checkout ends or whatever that's it's gonna have the hotel's name and address and it's good to have that yeah i just created a subfolder in my inbox japan 2023 and all my reservation things right in that folder and then it's all right there and should be super easy to find nice Okay, so now you know how you're getting to Japan. You know where you're going to be staying. At this point, I start to put together kind of a final itinerary. Pull in all that information, you know. I look back at those emails. Here's when I need to check in for my flight. Here's when I need to get on the plane. Here's when I'm going to arrive in Japan. And just kind of give yourself little notes about like, this is the next step of my trip. This is the next thing I have to be doing, you know. Because it takes out so much stress out of your trip when you have a little document that just tells you, this is the next thing you need to worry about. Just go here, do this, and everything's fine. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you an idea then to start planning what you're going to see and when. Because it's like, okay, I know my flight arrives in Kagoshima at 11 a.m. And it's going to take me an hour and a half to get off the plane and into the city. So, you know, you can start having an idea of how many hours you're going to have that day to go see things. Right. So you got to start picking which attractions you want to go see, what you want to do in each city. One of my favorite websites for this is japanguide.com. Oh, that's a good one. It's japan-guide.com. 
And yeah, it's really good. It lays it out by region. You can search specific cities or anything on there. They've got tons of articles, great info. One I'm learning more and more recently is you mentioned earlier, Google Maps. Like if you find a couple things that are great, a lot of times the touristy stuff is kind of near each other. You can just go look there. And if you're scrolled at the right distance, it will show you like other shrines or museums or stuff that are nearby in that area. And then you can be like, oh, well, I'm looking at this garden. Oh, there's a cool museum over here to go see. And you can find more things that way too. Yeah, for this part, I use, I mean, I said already, I guess, I use Google Maps for a ton of the planning process. And I I love how they have this, uh, when you drop a pin on something, you can save it as like want to go. So in each city that we're visiting, I have a bunch of these little green pins. And I know that, oh, I want to go there, I want to go there, I want to go there. And they're all kind of clumped together in this area of the city. Yeah. So I kind of, I already know just based on that, like, oh, I'm going to spend like a day in that area and hit up those little things right there. I've been starring our hotels and then marking travel plans for like all the attractions I want to go see. Nice. And when you save stuff on Google Maps too, there's now a little option uh, where you can enter a note. So I do that sometimes. Like if I read about a restaurant and somebody was just raving about this one dish, you know, I'll drop a pin on that restaurant and then say, order this dish there. Nice, nice. I know when I'm there. Also for directions, that makes it really easy because you can go back and click on this pin, hit directions, click on the other pin, and then you could see, okay, that's a 23 minute walk. It's 12 minutes. If I take the bus, that's really cool too. When you're trying to figure out what order you're going to go see things in or in a way that makes sense. Totally. Um, so Talking about like directions from one place to another, that's one of the main things that I really want to have in my itinerary. And not so much, like I feel like in the past, I've gone a little overboard with this, where I say like exactly what train line I'm going to be taking and maybe even what platform I should be on and that kind of stuff. I don't really feel like that's necessary at this point. Doesn't hurt. Yeah, but you want your itinerary to be flexible, you know? And if you have an idea like, I'm going to get on this train at this time, on this date, like that might not happen quite that way. And then, and that stuff isn't really that hard to figure out anyway, if you have like the right app or, I mean, even Google Maps should give you a decent amount of detail on the trains that you need to take. Yeah. And depending on where you are. So this leads a little bit into how you plan your trip, right? We're kind of planning our trip in like maximize, like we're going to maximize our time here. We're going to see as many things as we can. And I'm super into that. But like my first time to Japan, it was more of a like, let's just go to Japan. And we kind of just vibed it out. We didn't have a ton of huge plans. We were like, we wanted to see Shibuya and a couple other places, but we, we had no firm plans. I literally just picked up a map in the subway station in Tokyo that was in English And we looked at it and we were like, it would show which station you could transfer to another line. And we were like, all right, take the red line here and then we can transfer to the orange line. And that brings us up near Asakusa and we'll figure it out from there. And we just went around basically just doing that all day, kind of not planning anything and just figuring it out. We could have probably done more and seen more stuff if we maximized it more, but I was just like enjoying being in Japan. Yeah, And I would maybe do that if someone was like, 
oh, hey, bro, I'm going to England and you should come with me. And OK, maybe I would just go and whatever. But since I'm so into Japan and we've talked about so many things, I'm like, no, I have to see all these things. Yeah. So I know we, we were kind of going on and on about this stuff. <laughs> I want to try to really quickly just lay out like the types of details that I would put in my itinerary and I would recommend you do as well. For trains, the main thing I want to know in my itinerary is how long it's going to take to get from one place to another. Yep. And you also want to factor in, like, it's not just the time on the train. You also need to think about how am I going to get to the train station? How long is that going to take? Once I get to my destination, how long does it take to get out of that train station and to the next place I need to be? Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's the big part of, like, when you're getting to a new city and figuring out how much time you're going to have to see things. How the often, travel time can be a huge chunk of your day. Yeah. How often do the trains come? It might be a 10-minute train ride, but the trains might come only 10 minutes. So you might be waiting nine minutes for the train to come. Mm-hmm. Or you might get lost in the train station or spun around and you don't immediately find the platform you're looking for. And it adds a little bit of time. So I always assume it might take you a few more minutes than Google tells you it will. Yeah. Next thing is hotels. I already talked about marking them on Google Maps. You may also want to have the address written down in your itinerary in case you need to like tell a taxi driver or something, you know, I want to go here, something like that. Yep. I want to write down check-in and check-out times so I know when I need to get there and when I need to leave. I want to know, is breakfast included? I want to know, do they accept luggage before check-in time? You know, if you arrive in a new city early in the day, it's really nice to be able to drop off your stuff even if you can't check in yet. One thing I think is really important is checking the hours and the days open of the things you want to go see because you're going to run into things that it's closed on Mondays or it's closed on Tuesdays or it's only open till 4 or it doesn't open till 10 a.m. So you have to plan your day around that a little bit as well to make it make sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Write down those hours so you you know what's available on each day. Uh, You might also want to mark down the prices of each place. You know, a lot of places, especially like tourist attractions, might be cash only. So you want to make sure you have enough cash on you at that time. Another thing is we're going to be doing more of this than we ever have before. Uh, Do you want to rent a bike to get around a certain city? you're going to want to know where you can do that. How much does it cost to rent this bike? Does that cost include a helmet? Can you rent it for multiple days? Where do you have to return the bike? You know, a lot of questions around that that you want to have the answers to in advance to make things go smoothly. Uh, And of course, if you're booking any tours, you want to have those written down in your itinerary. Where do you need to be to start this tour? That kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's maybe a few other details or finishing touches to wrap up and make sure you're totally prepared for your trip. I think a good place to start is, are you going to have a reliable internet connection? In this day and age, that's a good thing to have. You're probably going to want internet with you at all times. I do, for sure. When we went to Japan last time, we had a pocket Wi-Fi, but we only had one. And there were a couple times we split up and... I survived, but I ain't going to lie. I spent a little bit of time 
crouching down next to a combini, getting that free Wi-Fi, trying to figure out where the heck I was going. Mm. Um, but, you know, it wasn't too bad. And it was usually only like to find a restaurant and then we met back up. But there is free Wi-Fi that you can find specifically at combinis, which are kind of everywhere. Yeah. Unless you're really out in the rural areas. So in case anyone isn't familiar, we should probably say like what a pocket Wi-Fi device is. They're basically just these little things, like half the size of a cell phone maybe. The idea is that it connects to the cell network and then creates a hotspot for you so you can connect as many devices as you want to that device and get internet. Yes. So this is what I've used for all of my Japan trips up until now. If you want one, you should check out the travel tools section of our website. We have a couple different options there, places you can get that. However, there are other options these days for internet. So I would recommend the pocket Wi-Fi device if you have a big group. Maybe you're going, you know, your whole family is going or whatever, and all of you are going to be sticking together and you want to all use internet. Having that one device might be the cheapest option. Very economical in that case. Yeah. But there's a relatively new thing that I'm going to be using for the first time on this trip, which is that some cell carriers now include international data texting and calling as part of their standard plans. Or if they don't have it as part of your standard plan, they might offer an international add-on sort of thing. So like the company that I'm with, we don't get international as part of our normal plan, but for $50... I can get up to 30 days of unlimited internet texting and calling and like 15 gigabytes of high-speed internet. After that, I still have internet. It's just not as fast. Nice. But yeah, so that's going to be super convenient, especially because we're packing so light. I don't need to have another thing to carry around with me. Yeah, and keep it charged. And yeah, yeah, it's just more hassle. Yeah, and when I had pocket Wi-Fis on my last trips, it was like I would always be turning it on and off to save battery life depending on when I needed to use it and stuff. Yeah. It's just a pain. Oh, we're on the train for the next hour. Turn it off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'll have to uh, try to set that up too. That seems way easier. Yeah. You don't have to go pick it up. You don't have to return it. Yeah, you just show up and all of a sudden... Your phone's just working. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Uh, another thing that can be super handy if you're traveling a bunch like we are for this trip uh, is the JR Pass. If you're a listener, you've probably heard us talk about the JR Pass before. Basically, it's a pass that you buy, and it gives you unlimited access to trains that are run by JR, which includes all of the Shinkansen, which are the high-speed bullet trains that can get you pretty much anywhere in the country. And it also includes a lot of smaller local lines that are also run by JR. Yep. The more traveling you're doing the better deal the JR Pass is. Yeah, it could save you hundreds of dollars, like, easily. Yes, absolutely. We're both getting it for this trip, or at least parts of this trip. Yeah, I think I decided I'm going to get the 14-day. They have a 7-day, 14-day, and 21-day. Okay. I'm getting the 7-day because I'm flying right away to Kagoshima, so I don't need it for that. Then we're staying a few nights in Kagoshima, and I'm going to activate mine on the last day. And then I'm going to be able to Shinkansen, Shinkansen, and have all that covered. And then it will run out while we're in Nico, but I won't really need it there. Yeah. So there's actually a fare calculator on the jrpass.com website that you can use to kind of add up the fares for 
the trips that you're planning to take. And if the sum of those trips is more than the price of the JR pass, then you'll save money by getting the JR pass, if that makes sense. I don't know if I laid that out clearly. Yeah, I think so. All right. That's really cool that you can do that. Yeah. I mean, that just shows what a great value it is. Like, (laughs) they'll have that on there because most people probably will save some money unless you're just maybe staying in Tokyo the whole time. Yep. So if you want a JR Pass, you can use our affiliate link on the travel tools section of our website, which is sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. By using that affiliate link, we get a little commission for bringing traffic their way. So that would be a great way to help support the podcast without any additional cost to you. It's the same price it would be if you just bought it directly you know, from them. Yeah. And thank you again to those who've already done that. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so another thing to think about when you're finishing up your planning is money. How much cash do you need to carry around with you? More than you might think. Japan is still fairly cash-centric society. Yeah, I don't know. It really depends. Like, I feel like most restaurants, unless it's like a pretty small operation, most restaurants are going to take credit cards I feel like it's mainly like the tourist attraction type places where you're going to want to use cash a lot of the time. Yeah, the tourist areas, heavily cash. Or getting into a temple or whatever, it's cash, cash, cash. Yeah. So you'll want to consider a few questions here. Like if your hotels are already paid for, that's you know one less thing you need to worry about. But of course, most hotels, again, are going to take credit cards. Not all, but most. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you going to be eating a lot of fancy dinners? Are you planning to use your credit card a lot? You know, I mean, you can choose to just pay for everything in cash. It's kind of a good way to like limit your budget, you know, be like, well, I have this cash. I'm not going to spend any more than this cash, you know? Yeah, you could bring what you think is too much cash with you. And then if you're not burning through it that fast, you can just start paying for your meals with cash instead of your credit card. Yeah. I know the first time I went to Japan... I had to go get more yen. I ran out of yen. At the time, there were like three ATMs in Tokyo that you could use American debit cards at. So I think we had to go to Rapongi just to find an ATM that I could get yen out of. And the second time in Japan, I didn't have to do that, but I'm pretty sure I came home with about zero yen left. Mm. I've never gotten yen in Japan, so I... I can't really offer any advice about using ATMs or anything. I've heard... It's gotten better, I think. I've heard that 7-Elevens specifically are pretty good about having a a machine that will work with international cards. But just to give you an idea, a rough idea of like how much cash is appropriate maybe, for all of my past trips, they were pretty much all around two and a half weeks and I would always get 100,000 yen. This trip, I think I mentioned it's going to be a full three weeks so this time I'm getting 120,000 yen. I actually already have. I like to do that in advance. And again, I did that while the exchange rate was favorable. Yeah. But yeah, it, you know, in the past, 100,000 yen for two and a half weeks is pretty much perfect for me. And maybe I'd have like a little leftover at the end of the trip that I could kind of, you know, like Paul just said, I can spend it on meals to get rid of it. Or sometimes I'll have like 50 bucks or, you know, 5,000 yen left it when I get to the airport and I'll just like buy something at one of the souvenir shops in the airport, you know? Yeah. I'm hoping to go back to Japan quick enough that I could even hold on to it if I wanted to. Yeah. 
one thing to keep in mind, though, is like when you're exchanging your local currency for yen, the bank is taking a cut of that. Like you're not getting the rate that you would see when you Google, you know, what's the exchange rate? Right, right. They're taking a bit of money there. And if you have extra yen left over that you need to exchange back into your local currency, they're going to take another cut out of that. Yeah. So it's, if possible, it's best to spend all of your yen. Also, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but banks around here won't take coins. Like they'll mm. only exchange paper money. So spend your coins. Yeah. Another note on that is generally your bank is going to give you a better deal than at the airport. The airport is usually the worst place to exchange yen. It's going to be the highest markup out of anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about cash a while. When it comes to money, I have one tip for credit cards specifically. Notify your credit card companies that you're going to Japan if necessary. A lot of credit card companies these days will tell you, oh, we got all this chip technology now. Security is great. We don't even need to worry about that. Like, we don't care that you're going <laughs> to another country. Don't even tell us. But some banks will still take like travel notices. And that can just be nice to do to make sure that your card doesn't get, you know, shut down or declined because all of a sudden they think somebody's, right. somebody's stolen your card right. and is using it somewhere else. Yep. In Japan, especially, you're probably going to be doing a lot of walking because you got to walk to the train. You got to walk in and out of the station. You're going to be walking to the attractions. So comfortable shoes, very important. This should have been the very first tip, Paul. This is like, <laughs> this is so, so important. If you mess up your feet because you chose the wrong shoes, your trip is going to be miserable. I almost take this one for granted because I only ever wear comfortable shoes, Jason. All my shoes are comfortable. Okay, that's great. I'm happy for you. I have, I have a lot of shoes, like just in the last, I guess last like 10 years, which is kind of a long time, but I've been more of a shoe guy than I ever was before. So I have like a bunch of shoes, but none of the pairs that I already had are like a perfect fit for this trip. Sure, they're comfortable, but wearing a pair of shoes for a day is not at all the same as wearing one pair of shoes walking 10 miles a day for weeks in a row, you know? I have a pair of shoes that I thought was comfortable and I walked one Saturday to like this park miles away. Like I decided I was going to spend a big chunk of the day on a, this super long walk. And by the time I got back, I had blisters. I'd never gotten blisters before with those shoes. I'd been wearing them for years, but you never know until you test them out. Yeah. I just bought a brand new pair of running shoes that are really comfortable. I'm going to run in them to get in shape for Japan and break them in at the same time. And then they're going to be like perfectly like two months broken in, but still kind of new Yeah. while we're walking around every day. I'm, I'm hopeful that they're going to be, they're going to be really nice for me. That's perfect. You know, maybe my feet are just weird. I don't know. I feel like my little toes get pinched a lot. Here we are talking about Jason's feet again. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's I, all right. I have a fascinating people, feet. A lot of people are into feet, Jason. All right. Maybe I should get on those websites, you know, try to make some money or something. Yeah, if you really want to make money online. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to start a podcast to make money. Just take a lot of pictures of your feet. This is my feet after 15 miles walking in <laughs> Japan today. <laughs> uh, Anyways. Anyway. So we got shoes taken care of, but 
you're going to want a packing list to make sure you don't miss an essential item. Again, I'm going to bring up that travel tools section of our website because not too long ago, I put a sample packing list on there. Just kind of general stuff that everybody will probably want or need on their trip. And of course, a lot of stuff can be bought in Japan if you realize that you forgot something. A couple things that might be hard to find in Japan if you forgot to pack it or something goes wrong is deodorant. Like Western style deodorant isn't really common in Japan. There's a whole genetic difference there that accounts for that. Also shoes. If you find out halfway through your trip that your shoes aren't comfortable for whatever reason, you might have trouble finding shoes in your size because generally, you know, Japanese people are smaller than like Nordic types like us. (laughs) We got big feet. Yeah, I was going to say socks. Like, I don't know if I could find socks in Mm, Japan that that would fit my feet comfortably. Yeah, shoes would be very difficult, I think. Your packing list is great. I looked at it earlier today, and a couple things that I could see myself forgetting without looking is sunglasses, which depending on maybe on the time of year you're going can be really important. And the other one is neck pillow. I've forgotten my neck pillow on Mm. so many vacations, but especially with a 14-hour flight, it makes the flight for me way more comfortable trying to like lean my head forward on a seat that someone's leading back and is already in my face. You know, I'm a big guy. I'm already cramped on the airplane having a neck pillow so I can just kind of like lightly roll my head back and be comfortable. I got to remember to bring my neck pillow. Actually for this trip, since we're packing super, super light, I'm planning on ditching the neck pillow and uh, like on Delta, which is, the airline I'm using for this one, I know that they have these headrests that like the sides fold forward kind of. So it gives you like a little mm-hmm. place to, you know, rest your head to the side if you're trying to fall asleep. So yeah, hopefully that'll be good. But going along with that, I find just sleep aids in general really helpful. Like I sleep with earplugs and a sleep mask over my eyes and I couldn't do a trip without those, I think especially with adjusting from jet lag and sleeping on the plane and sleeping on trains, that kind of thing can be useful. I'm going to pass on those. Okay. I feel more uncomfortable just like having something in my ear or having something on my face than I get back from it. I get that. That might be one of those places where I'm just a weirdo because I've been sleeping like that with earplugs and a face mask for years now. You're, You're a little bit of a sensitive sleeper. Yeah, that's true. Man. Even lately, like in this. That's why, that's why I don't want to share a bed with you, bro. That's fair. I'll like turn over one time and you'll be like, oh, you woke me up. Fair. But yeah, man, temperature for me is so, so important. Like I'm finding, especially lately, you know, in the winter, you would expect the apartment to get cool pretty easily, but it warms up in here from the neighboring apartments. And if it's above like 68 degrees in the bedroom, I'll just be laying there for like three hours before I can get to sleep. <laughs> It's miserable. You're actually like a thermometer. Like if it gets one degree hotter, I'll just see the sweat beads immediately form on your forehead. And I'll be like, oh, it must be above 70. And I always start sweating when we're podcasting. You can see the thermostat right there just from the heat of us getting all excited <laughs> and talking and stuff. It oh, rises. It's 73 I feel like. in here. Oh, it's, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we need to end this soon so I can go take a shower. Well, I I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much out of travel tips at this point. Okay. 
I just had one last little section. And again, maybe this is me being a weirdo. Maybe this is me being overly obsessive with my planning. But there are a few things that I like. It's like a kind of a checklist that I like to go down right before I leave for my trip. Yeah. One is I want to make sure that I pay any bills I need to pay. Ooh, that's where I go. Especially on a three week trip. That's almost a full month. Rent is going to be due while we're there. Right. I don't know how I'm going to have to set up auto payments. I think I can do that. I should yeah. do that. I need to figure out if I can like pay rent in advance or ask Yia to take care of it. Something like that. Yeah. Another thing, make sure all your devices are charged, you know? Yep. Phone. Uh, I just got an Apple Watch. It's pretty exciting. I got to make sure that's fully charged. Nice. Uh, if you have like a battery pack, that's on our packing list, by the way. Yeah. Good thing to have. Do you still have an extra one? Uh, or should I get one? I mean, I have one you could use. It's not super high capacity and it's kind of old and it's kind of a really cheap one. So I'll, like, I'll get one. All right. I I don't really trust it enough to like plug my fancy phone into it anymore, you know? Yeah, okay, but yeah, yeah. Whatever. I got this brand new phone I got yesterday. Yeah. Like, let's keep it nice. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a silly one, but it's important to me. Clip your nails. <laughs> I just like to start a trip with neatly trimmed nails. That's good. Something. I sometimes bring a clipper with me just in case I get a hangnail or something. They do let those through security now, right? I'm pretty sure. They're they're a little more late. You can bring deodorant on the plane and stuff now. I used to have to put all those little things in a bag and it was mm, dumb. But yeah. The day before your flight, you can check in for your flight usually, I think is how it works. I don't know if that's true everywhere around the world. But in the U.S., it's like you check. You can check in up to 24 hours in advance. Yep. And when you're booking economy flights, like I do, <laughs> you might not get to choose your seat on the airplane until you check in. So if you have a strong preference for a window seat or an aisle seat, it's kind of a good idea to check in as soon as you can. I prefer to have an aisle seat personally so that I don't have to bother anyone if I want to get up and go to the bathroom or stretch my legs. Yep. I was actually surprised on my flights. I got to pick my seats when I booked it. And then I realized, oh, it's Air Canada. It's only the crappy, cheap U.S. carriers that have these super economy. They try to make you pay an extra 50 bucks to be able to pick your seat when you book it. Yeah. Rant over. <laughs> um, another thing, I like to turn off all the electronics in my home that I'm not going to be using because, you know, why have them yeah. sucking electricity when nobody's there to use them? Definitely going to turn off my computer. And I like to adjust my thermostat. He is not joining me on this trip, so, you know, I'm not going to touch the thermostat, but if nobody was going to be in my apartment, I would change the thermostat to whatever setting would save me money on heating or cooling. Yeah, I'm glad I have a roommate. I'm just, like, not going to have much to worry about. Yeah. Don't have to stop my mail. Don't have to worry about anything like that. Oh, that's another good one. Stop your mail. Yeah. If you're going to be gone for a while. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I got. All right. We just dropped an insane amount of travel planning knowledge, Jason. Yeah. If I may, if I may say. That was a lot. I just hope it's in a format that will be helpful to people and it's not, it doesn't just feel like an endless ramble. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, again, check out our travel tools section on the website for useful links and that packing list. Again, that's sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And if you find the podcast useful and informative, if this information has helped you plan a trip, perhaps, please consider donating. There is a donate section on our website as well. And remember that JR Pass link, the affiliate link, is also in the travel tools section. Mm-hmm. 
And Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're going to be talking about the ancient city of Nara, the first permanent capital in Japan. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, I feel like a lot of people in the U.S. have heard of Nara because of the friendly deer, and they are awesome. And you should definitely go hang out with the friendly deer if you're in Nara. But there's an insane amount of history there, and I can't wait to dig into that history in more detail. You know? Yeah, in three words, history, culture, deer. <laughs> sure. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hello, Paul. (laughs) Hello, Jason. (laughs) I don't know if that's the best way to test the mics (laughs) with really funny voices. Hello, Paul. (laughs) This is Jason. We're going to do an April Fool's episode where we just talk in voices (laughs) the entire time and never break character. Oh, man.